Hello, welcome to Orion Talks. My name is Suat Cibukca. I'm a senior fellow at Orion Policy Institute. We have a special guest today, Caroline Rose. Hi, Caroline. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Caroline Rose is a senior analyst and the head of the Power Vacuums program at the New Lines Institute. And she studies contested territories, displacement on governed spaces, and the risk to human security and the US interest across the international system. And she recently co-authored a special policy report on the illicit drug trade, Captagon, in the Mediterranean and the Gulf region and its effect on security challenges. And today we are going to discuss the Captagon trade with Caroline. Um, Caroline, I want to start our conversation with, you know, to understand what's Captagon. So can you kind of explain what it means and why should we concern about it? So Captagon, I think, has, has many misunderstandings and, and many meanings to many different people in, in the region. Uh, but Captagon is a drug. It's an illicit substance that is popularly traded in the Middle East. Uh, its origins go back to the 1960s when a German pharmaceutical company called uh, Degusa AG produced the drug, um, otherwise known as phenethylene for attention deficit disorders, for weight loss, for a number of other uh, disorders. And the drug was licitly and prescribed by doctors and circulated on the licit pharmaceutical markets until the 1980s, when it was scheduled by the World Health Organization. Uh, from there, Captagon and its chemical composition is, has changed drastically. Uh, what we know is Captagon in the 1960s and 1970s is not the Captagon that we see on illicit markets today. It's a drug that is not at all, um, it, it does not resemble the phenethylene formula. Instead, it comprises of um, either very small or very large quantities, sometimes up to like the, uh, mid 40% of amphetamine. Uh, it also has a series of cutting agents and other chemical components that uh, really depending on the producer, they'll, they'll add it in. Uh, and, and Captagon today is known to essentially create a number of different effects. One of course is staying up very late, um, being able to stay up uh, for, for hours at a time, um, very useful for uh, university students who are studying for exams or truck drivers that are trying to make a shift for the night. Uh, Captagon also staves hunger um, and uh, suppresses the feeling of, of, of hunger. Uh, and then also Captagon is known to produce many of the pills, uh, a euphoric feeling, a, a, a rush, uh, so to speak, of adrenaline um, that has been attributed to a number of different uh, behavioral traits, for example, feeling more violent or increasing desire or uh, a number of other, other feelings. Uh, that can both be for recreational purposes, but also, of course, for productivity. Uh, so Captagon has become a very popular substance in the region and, and beyond, really. Um, thank you. So, um, and your report talked about its production, you know, and uh, can you kind of walk us through where it is produced and where the production is concentrated and who are the stakeholders behind the production and the trade of Captagon? Absolutely. So Captagon, after a very brief uh, period of being illicitly produced in the Balkan region, uh, mm -hmm. where particularly in Bulgaria, uh, and after a series of law enforcement crackdowns in, in, in the Balkans, 
Haptagon very soon migrated uh, further to the Middle East. Now, the reason why it migrated to the Middle East and specifically the Levant region in the early 2000s was because by then there were uh, proven and, and uh, established destination markets um, in the Persian Gulf. Uh, where Captagon became a very popular substance for, for users uh, to, to use recreationally and for a number of other reasons. Uh, so Captagon found its home in the Levant, primarily in Syria and then along the Syrian-Lebanese border. The reason for this, of course, was um, there was a very long history of uh, drug trafficking, of course, in the Bekaa Valley, uh, particularly with the cannabis trade, and then also, of course, limited um, but very uh, established participation from the Assad regime um, and, and the Syrian state and their security apparatus. And throughout the uh, early 2000s, Captagon was, was a, a drug that was popularly consumed in the Persian Gulf, uh, but very much so in, in smaller quantities. We would see Captagon being trafficked uh, through overland routes, through on you know hidden in cars and backpacks, uh, also of course uh, essentially trying to be trafficked through um, through air, through air um, aerial routes, uh, seized at airports. But again, in very small quantities, it was very typical to see a captagon seizure of just a few hundred or sometimes just a few thousand pills. Uh, however, over time, and I think very much exacerbated by the Syrian civil war. And then, of course, the um, subsequent political crisis in Lebanon, the Captagon trade has very much thrived and production has boomed. Um, when I started researching the Captagon trade three years ago, I would not have imagined the size and the scale and the scope that the Captagon trade has really encompassed today. Uh, we are seeing Captagon uh, being seized in the millions of tablets which indicates um, drastic uh, uptick in production capacity in Syria and uh, in Northern Lebanon, uh, as well as of course, more sophisticated seizures. Um, seizures with such sophistication and advancement that I think indicate greater state involvement. And through our work and through our research, we were able to identify a number of individuals um, both state and non-state uh, that have participated in the Captagon trade, particularly with industrial size production. Uh, on, in Syria, particularly in regime held areas, we identified a number of stakeholders and uh, members either directly or indirectly affiliated with the Assad regime. Um, the, of course, the top and most notable individual is Maher al-Assad, um, Bashar al-Assad's younger brother, and who heads the Syrian Army's 4th Division. Uh, and he, of course, has been a link to overseeing and directing a Captagon factory in Latakia, Al-Basa, and a number of manufacturing centers along the Syrian-Lebanese border um, in partnership with a number of other non-state actors such as Hezbollah and IRGC-affiliated militias. We also, of course, um, note that there are a few other family members, for example, Samer Kamal al-Assad, who is a cousin of the Al-Assad family, um, who's been connecting, connected to operating Captagon factories near the port of Latakia and Al-Basha, and of course, um, working very closely with, with the Lebanese contingents in the trade. Um, also, of course, Wasim Badia Al-Assad, who's controlled local militias in Latakia and has been very much associated with those drug trades there. 
And then um, Rami Makhlouf, who is a bit more on the outs with the Al-Assad family, however, mm -hmm. of course, whose charitable foundation has been found to have employees who participated in Captagon production and also very notably facilitated a very interesting um, and notable uh, drug seizure, or sorry, drug shipment to Egypt um, a few years ago in milk cartons um, and provided the packaging for that. Uh, we also identify a number of other people, um, individuals, both in Syria and Lebanon, who are involved in construction, in um, agriculture, in other business sectors that either provide the materials, the transportation mechanisms, and some of the oversight and the protection needed for such large-scale shipments for Captagon to, to essentially circulate throughout the region. So these are really kind of so much insightful information about the elements of the Syrian government in the Captagon production and the trade. So, and also you mentioned about non-state actors like Hezbollah and IRGC. So IRGC is not a non-state, but however, you know, and also you see some ISIS elements. So how do these groups help the Syrian government? I mean, uh, do they, they work as a kind of the proxy in their trade or um, as a kind of enabler? So what are their roles? Um, it's a great question. And I think it's very important when, when, we, when we discuss the Capticon trade that it's more than just the Syrian state that is facilitating this. Uh, there are non-state actors, both either directly linked or not at all, and in some cases in competition with the Syrian state, that participate, produce, consume, and, and traffic uh, Capticon pills. Uh, overwhelmingly, of course, it's concentrated in regime-held areas. Uh, but that being said, I would be remiss not to say that uh, there are an estimated uh, about 20 smaller to medium scale laboratories that are concentrated along the Kalmoon mountain range, um, just along the Lebanese-Syrian border. A lot of these, um, a lot of these sites are, are in kind of hollowed out residences and villas and, and basements. Um, we've been able to get kind of a better picture of what they mm -hmm. look like, the type of uh, buildings uh, that are used for Captagon production. Luckily, because the Lebanese internal security forces have conducted a series of raids and have taken a lot of pictures that have allowed us to kind of get an inside look into how these, these uh, buildings are used for Captagon production. Uh, that being said, a lot of these small-scale labs uh, often cross over uh, the uh, Lebanese-Syrian border back into Syria whenever the risk of law, law enforcement interdiction is high. Um, which I think is quite notable. And I think it also goes to show that there is a very close connection with these Lebanese producers and fourth division Syrian regime and the secur Syrian security apparatus. Um, regarding the overall role that Hezbollah plays, I think it's a very fascinating one um, and one that definitely deserves a lot of attention because I think they play primarily a uh, supporting role in the Captagon trade I don't think that the Syrian state would be able to not only produce, but traffic the Captagon pills um, as successfully as they do throughout the region without Hezbollah um, serving as a key facilitator. They really, they have a lot of technical and uh, technical expertise and experience with the cannabis trade. And so really, I think that they've been able to facilitate and identify new and existing routes that Captagon smugglers can use to reach destination markets, also identify new markets. Um, they've also offered access to Lebanese ports um, that have been absolutely crucial in allowing the Syrian state to essentially cover up the suspicion of Captagon tablets having originated from Syria. 
And so they've offered access to the port of Beirut, the port of Tripoli, a number of informal ports along the Mediterranean coast, um, and also, of course, have volunteered their own personnel, their own volunteers to uh, facilitate a lot of these Captagon shipments and use their own equipment and use their own, um, I, I would say, patronage mm -hmm. networks and impunity in Lebanon uh, without the risk of interdiction. Yeah, so um, so you, you talk about this kind of alignment between non-state actors and the Syrian government and it's pretty much provides some monetary resources to these groups. But do you think they also, it provides also kind of some political gains to these non-state actors and also Syrian government? Absolutely. I think that there are a number of political gains with facilitating the Captagon trade. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that first, just by nature of cooperation and by the fact that many of these mm -hmm. actors are cutting some, getting some sort of cut from, uh, you know, border taxation or just being able to facilitate these shipments, um, it's providing alternative sources of revenue. So it's allowing them to fund their operations. It's allowing them to equip their forces. It's allowing them to survive, essentially, um, and tap into a new source and stream of revenue. Um, politically, I also think that it offers a degree of power dynamic um, that, that a lot of these actors are, are trying to achieve in, in, in their respective realms. I think that particularly for the fourth division, we identified Captagon um, with some uh, you know, field research accounts and, and interviews that we had with users and, and sources on the ground, along with, of course, open source literature. Uh, the, there is limited evidence um, that Captagon could be used as a recruiting tool for fourth division forces. Essentially, you know, tapping into communities where Captagon is already popular or they have experienced extreme trauma or food insecurity. Um, Captagon is a very lucrative substance to take to allow them to cope. And they're offering Captagon at cheaper prices if they join the forces. Um, you know, there is limited evidence of, of, of that happening. Um, also, of course, while forces are, are, are working with the fourth division or, or particular armed forces, uh, Captagon consumption, it has been very popular. And I think has also been very much factored in for retention as well. Um, there are a number of other, other ways that, you know, Captagon, I think, has reinforced the power dynamic. I think the fact as well is that it's exploited a lot of um, Syrian uh, civilians' trauma. Uh, it's played upon the food security, insecurity, and economic crisis that many are experiencing in the country. Um, this is, you know, by manufacturing the drug uh, at cheaper prices, but also, of course, adding sometimes harmful additives, uh, such as quinine, um, caffeine is one of them, um, pseudoephedrine, uh, and a number of other substances. Uh, that's really risking many, many people's long term and acute health. And uh, I think that that's also been very much a, a method of exploitation that has reinforced these power dynamics. Yeah, uh, yeah, great. So, you know, you talk about the power dynamics and the kind of also recruitment tool uh, for the Syrian government. So my question is about to what extent the, um, the prevalence of Captagon trade and the production charged the war and the conflict in the region. Um, do you think it's, an, it's a substantial um, um, phenomenon that actually fueled the, the conflict in the region? 
So I don't, I can't credit Captagon as, as fueling the conflict in the region. Uh, I, I think that that was a narrative that was very common, especially when there was a lot of discussion about ISIS mm-hmm. and ISIS's connection with uh, with Captagon and how Daesh fighters would would use Captagon to become more violent. Um, Captagon, as 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 harmful as the substance is, it's not causing um, a lot of the violence and the malign behavior that we're seeing in the region. Uh, it, it's it's an amphetamine-based substance that certainly can have some harmful behaviors associated with it, but um, bad actors are going to do bad things because they're, they're bad actors and they have bad uh, incentives. And uh, I think that Captagon is much more of a result of Syria's power vacuum and lack of governance and oversight and rule of law. Um, and of course, the introduction of a lot of these malign behaviors in, in the region. Um, you know, I don't think that there will ever be a day where we will not see a Captagon trade somewhere. Um, but of course, it can be managed. And the fact that we saw the Captagon trade uh, blossom in the last three to four years as some of these these actors in Syria were able to gain even more control as the economic situation um, just declined, as food insecurity has increased, and as political paralysis has very much um, domineered Lebanon. I think that that very much has a lot to do with Captagon blossoming. Um, And I also think too, what it does, it it certainly reinforces the, the power structures in place um, it, it gives these actors a lot more money than they had beforehand. And so certainly it's a very concerning trajectory. Okay, excellent. So, so I just want to go beyond the region. So you provide the production and the trade. So uh, what are the main destinations of the Captagon trade and who are the end users of the Captagon? So who are the consumers? So I just want to also look at the, the demand side of the equilibrium. Absolutely, that's that's very important. When looking at the Captagon trade, mm-hmm. I think it's essential to look at both, you know, the supply and the demand side. And on the demand side, overwhelmingly, the Persian Gulf and and markets there are are the primary de- destination markets. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're the countries where we see like over bill, sorry, not billions, millions of tablets uh, dispatched to, and, and and this is definitely the the uh, definitive destination market. That being said, as the Captagon trade has increased, as traffickers have identified new overland and maritime routes, um, it has opened up a new can of worms where a lot of these transit states, states that have these routes running through it, where traffickers use to, of course, try and transport Captagon towards destination markets in the Gulf. Uh, they've they've become um, very much uh, subjected to increased Captagon consumption because as Captagon is being trafficked, some of the pills trickle down into the local black and informal markets uh, where, where of course, you know, there's an increase in Captagon demand. And some of the states that we've seen this happen, of course, is, is Iraq, um, very much lately and recently. So um, I would say. Uh, Iraq has seen a huge uptick in Captagon uh, being seized, also reports of increased consumption and dependency, and then of course in Jordan as well, um, particularly after the Jaber Nasib border crossing opening in last, last fall. Uh, so that has really opened up the floodgates for increased Captagon trafficking through land borders. Uh, it's also in- introduced a, a new level of um, violence and clashes between Jordanian security forces and Captagon smugglers. There have been a few incidents 
of uh, crossfires uh, between, between these forces over Captagon smuggling. Um, and so definitely this is, this is affected consumption in the region. And um, Lebanon, mm-hmm. of course, is another transit country that has um, increasing Captagon consumption rates. Okay, um, great. So you, you mentioned about the seizures and the law enforcement. Um, and also when I think about the kind of uh, countermeasures. So is there any other measures that, you know, the international communities should focus to be able to uh, counter Captagon supply production and also prevent the consumption? Absolutely. I, I think that the Captagon trade has grown enormously under the radar of state institutions uh, and, and certainly I think has drawn a lot of attention from law enforcement systems, but I think it's time that we now look at Captagon um, in a very multifaceted uh, manner where we look at, of course, the interdiction capacity side of things, but also we have to look at the demand, the consumption, um, and the geopolitical consequences and implications of the Captagon trade. And because of this, in the report, uh, my co-author Alexander Soderholm and I uh, describe a series of policies that First, just try and generate more data about the trade. Uh, so the United States, the EU, and Middle Eastern countries that are affected by the trade should start collecting more data on this. They should start recording uh, Captagon tablets. They should start being more transparent about uh, Captagon shipments, the size where they are estimated to, uh, to, to come from. Um, and then also conducting laboratory analyses about the chem- chemical composition of Captagon pills. Uh, so we need to track Captagon better. I think that that's definitely the number one thing that's the most important. We also need to track addiction rates. We also need to uh, uh, track consumption rates much better. Uh, unfortunately, of course, there is the taboo of drug use and consumption in, in the Middle East. Uh, that's a reality that we're aware of, but we need to uh, increase healthcare access, um, access to rehabilitation centers, access to mental health care facilities, uh, and access to harm reduction facilities as well, uh, because Captagon has many long-term and short-term implications that are going to be crucial for these countries to address. And then we also finally mention uh, that you know it would be wise that the United States and the EU explore uh, a bit more about the actors that are behind Captagon and what potential spaces um, that they can identify where they can disrupt uh, Captagon being a huge revenue source for for these actors. Um, And we we outline at least having an interagency strategy, having a mechanism to deal with this, to promote dialogue, to promote cooperation and intelligence sharing about the Captagon trade. Yeah, um, yeah, thank you. So when, when we think about the European Union and the United States, it's pretty much clear that uh, Europe is disproportionately affected by this Capitagon trade because it's close to the region. So how can the US help? Um, I think, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. so how can the US can help these efforts, especially with the Europe, you know, and you talked about the Caesars and the enforcement. So is there any role that US can handle? Absolutely. So Europe, you know, there's no proven uh, consumption market in, in, in mm-hmm. Europe, and we're, we're still waiting for more data on this. Um, so, you know, I think it's too, too close to, it's too soon to say that the, the Captagon is a very popular substance in Europe. As of now, it's just a transshipment site for, for Captagon. A lot of Southern European ports have been used to essentially reroute Captagon towards the, the Persian Gulf. 
But they certainly do have reason to be concerned about the Captagon trade, uh, not only because it affects interests in, in, in the Middle East, but also, of course, the fact that EU law enforcement systems are have to be very vigilant about, about the Captagon mm -hmm. uh, problem. And so I think that where the United States can come in, I think the U.S. could really be a force multiplier with this issue and convening a lot of these countries and, and establishing a joint mechanism uh, between transit, destination countries, transshipment routes, uh, that where we can promote dialogue about where Captagon is being routed, um, promote intelligence sharing between particular countries, build trust, which is incredibly important. Uh, and on top of that, start tracking this data, um, start generating more evidence, start generating more information that can exist about how Captagon is made, what is in Captagon, who is using Captagon, and of course, how we can help stop disrupt uh, this Captagon challenge. I also think that the United States can do uh, quite a bit in helping certain partners enforce their borders. For example, we did that. We did just that with um, with, with Jordan, with uh, a lot of work and a lot of money um, pumped into Jordan's border security force. Uh, and I think that you know that absolutely could be explored once again for uh, stemming Captagon shipments. Uh, same, of course, goes with Iraq. I think that the United States has a vested interest in ensuring that. Iran-aligned militias are not profiteering off of the Capricorn trade, and very much so, the Iraqi-Syrian border is porous and uh, not very well uh, guarded, and I think that that could be something that the United States could explore with its Iraqi partners. Uh, but really, I think above all, it's that, it's that mechanism, it's that, it's that convening power that I think the United States could have here um, in promoting dialogue and promoting solutions. Um, Caroline, thank you so much for your time and for the, your, the insightful conversation. And also, thanks for the informative and great report. So, um, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This was a pleasure. Um,